You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a weekly podcast that explores the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic, hosted by two psychiatrists, Steve Allen and Rob Seltzer. Shrink the Virus is brought to you by Melbourne independent community media organisation Triple R. Check out the Shrink the Virus podcast page on the Triple R website and on Facebook. And don't forget, you can financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber at any time. More details at rrr.org.au. And welcome to today's episode of Shrink the Virus. I am Steve Allen. I'm with my good friend, Rob Salsa. Are you going to tell us your name? I just did, didn't I? We always, yeah. Why do I know we do that this? I, you know, just for those, for, for people listening, if there's slight variations today, one of us is having some NBN problems, but we think it's going to sound okay. Hey, t- Rob, why don't you date stamp us when we're uh, recording this? Who's on the show? Yeah, you know, when we, when we actually recorded our interview with the wonderful, talented, smart, vivacious, such an interesting person. Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician, who we're interviewing later on in the show. We did the recording yesterday. We thought, look, let's wait till the next day, today, to do our intro because things might change. And boy, on the 19th of July at 1.30pm, have they changed since yesterday, Steve? Well... I'm surprised you're so surprised you're, you're making such a big deal of change because I didn't think they changed too much. But let me give you a summary Aww. of where we're at Aww. and you tell me what you think. You, the big thing's obviously the masks, but we'll get to that. Let me just tell you where we're at numbers-wise and all that sort of stuff. How does that sound? Go. So, of course, there's lots of anxiety because we've had lots of numbers in Victoria. Um, our numbers... Uh, yesterday were a little bit lower, 280. The day before, they were in the 400s. Everyone had their fingers crossed for today. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they've gone up a bit today. They're up to 363 in the last 24 hours. But it, I think it's still worthwhile giving everyone a little bit of perspective because for me, those numbers are still pretty small. So Australians' total now is up to 11,000 with 8,000 recovered. That mm-hmm. means we've got 3,000 active cases in Victoria, in Australia, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. with 115 deaths. Now, just to give you some sort of perspective on that, that's 500 people per million population have had the virus. Um, our 350 per million have recovered and we have about five deaths per million people in Victoria, in Australia. Mm-hmm. To give you the Victorian numbers, where obviously the majority of the virus is at the moment and where most of the concern is, we've had 5,300 cases now, 34 deaths, as I said, 363 in the last 24 hours. We've 363 cases. In the positive tests in the yeah, last 24 yeah. hours. Um, we've got approximately in Victoria around about 2,800 active cases from what I can tell from the data that's available on the government websites. Now, that's about, in Victoria, four people per 10,000. How does that compare to other places? What do you make of that, Roberto? Well, I, I, that's why well, I asked you. Funny you should ask. That's a great, no, I'm glad, oh, right, because I actually looked up USA, funnily enough. Um, oh, you I, mean you did some research? I hoping you would ask that, and if you didn't, I did some research, yeah. Um, so in the USA, let me give you their numbers, okay? So they're up to 3.6 million cases, which is 1% of the population. 1% of the population? Wow. Have had it, yep. Um, 2.1 million active cases, right? 2.1. Mm-hmm. Now, that did seem a bit high to me, seeing that they've had 3.6 million. I'm sure there's slightly less active than that. Mm-hmm. I think that's an overestimation. But it's what, what comes off their government website, their yep. CDC and government, from what I can tell. There didn't wasn't a lot of data on it. Now, that gives them 
64 per 10,000 people. So let me repeat what we've got. Mm. In Victoria, the highest in Australia, 4 per 10,000. In the USA, 64 per 10,000, 15 times higher. Now, of course, I'm not saying be complacent, but I'm, I'm illustrating that our government is being beautifully proactive mm -hmm. for what on world stage is very low numbers and i think that's going to you know i'm hoping that's going to lead us into the debate about you know uh, what you know we're hearing so much noise in the media at the moment about well, half the world saying to we're going to, half the australia saying we're going too hard and the other half saying we're not going hard enough <laughs> we're go, you know i mean i just think our government's doing so well you know they're being so proactive considering our numbers it's just a lot of uh, noise, I think, with people voicing their opinion, as of course people should. But it's an opinion, and as you know, as you and I have been saying since day one, you got to listen to the experts. They have all the information. I mean, it's it's absolutely basic, basic. Uh, I think process. There are experts who who are across all of this. Listen to them. I mean, really? You know what? My, my only caveat, now that we've gone on a little bit, mm. is we're, we're getting too many pseudo-experts. Mm. Now, what I mean by that, a hell of a lot of people like us, doctors, <laughs> people who are partly in the know, right? Partly in the know, yeah. but we haven't got any skin in the game. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So... The government, people who are actually making decisions that affect lives, they've got skin in the game. If they make a decisions, decision, people's lives are affected. Mm -hmm. They're not just people like us who are making commentary on the experts. There's the experts with the skin in the game. So the ones you want to listen to are the ones who actually have consequences because mm -hmm. they're the ones who have to listen to everyone. They're the ones who have to listen to all the different strands of evidence, the epidemiologists, the infectious disease experts, the uh, intensive care experts, the people who look at the community, the people who look at the um, things like behaviour change in the community, the people who look at the um, economy. And, and don't the, forget um, education and economy, exactly, yeah. Exactly, all those things. Whereas, whereas, and so they're the ones who are making these hard decisions. Now, then on top of that, on one side, there's a whole lot of people, most of them I've got to say doctors, although some of them are in the media as well, who are constantly out there saying, you know, I don't think we're going hard enough. My gut feeling is we should be going harder. I've looked at the epidemiologist and I'm an epidemiologist or I'm a physician or I'm a this, that and the other, but they haven't actually got skin in the game. So they're only giving the argument from their very from their perspective, which is relatively narrow because they're not sitting in, in these, they're not the experts who are employed by the people who are actually making decisions. And, and they bother me just as much as all of the people on the other side, which often is a lot of shock jocks, saying things like, oh, the, you know, Chairman Dan or whatever they call him and, you know, he's going too hard. He's, you know, taking away our freedoms. Um, yeah, so I just think, like you, I think, you know, not <laughs> only that off, Got that off your chest? <laughs> yeah, but listen to the experts with skin in the game. They're Absolutely. the ones who really have access to all the, all the numbers and data. And, and what I meant was about, or what I was talking about when I said things are changing, is now masks, well, from Wednesday, I think midnight, masks will be compulsory. Which is which is a yeah. big big change from where, where we were even just a month ago. Um, so mm. I think that is a significant, and I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant. And here's my opinion: it's a brilliant idea, you know. And I was talking to you last week about how I was. Oh, I went shopping. Oh, probably I don't know. A certain proportion of people were wearing masks, and I thought, you know, why aren't you wearing a mask? It's kind of like it's social responsibility. This week I went shopping, same place probably double the number of people wearing masks. So I think the message is getting through, even without the compulsory compulsoriness. But uh, I think it's a very good move. Also, of course, um, 
um, more masks are on order. And uh, I think I forget yeah. what um, Dan Andrews said in the media release this morning, but, you know, I don't know, about a million arrived this week. And mm. so, you know, we're getting to a position where we can afford to say that we've got enough masks. Yep. It's also, though, I always love pointing out to public service announcement at this point that I he- keep hearing the, uh, the government experts with skin in the game saying, don't forget, masks are just one part of it. The most exactly. important is still social distancing, followed by hand washing, followed by sneezing into your elbow, and you know all that, and following all the rules of which masks fit into that. So, and that's always been one of the fears of masks. So people think if they've got a mask on, they can hug someone or they can shake hands. No, it's still level four, five, level one, social distancing, hand washing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Hey, you know, last week I was telling you how I was having trouble wearing a mask because of the glasses fogging up. So. I yeah. decided to test out a few different ideas. Have you have you still got oh, good, this problem? What you find? Do, do you still have the problem? Yeah, with? and I've actually put uh, I've actually put some tips on our Shrink the Virus mm. Facebook page. Yep. So but I you tried don't a like few social I, media. So you're forgiven for not seeing it. Well, no, I tried a few of the tips that we talked about. So probably, oh, good. What'd you try? Look, look, probably the best one. I reckon probably the best one was I was down at the market today, and um, my glasses fogged up the instant I stepped ahead of my car. And uh, so I ducked into the toilet, washed my glasses with some soapy water, uh, and then blew, blow dried them under the blow dryer. And man, what yep. a difference that made. That thin film of uh, soap on the back of your glasses stops them from fogging up. So tip, uh, you can see it all over the internet, how much soap compared to how much water, but it works. Yep. Yeah, that's been the number one that's come through. I also got a tutorial because I did some, I did a video, I think, yeah, I did a video during the week where I had to wear a mask and I was, I just could not stop my glasses fogging up. And also every time I spoke, the mask would slip down off my nose. So I was mm. constantly adjusting it so much so that an inf- that a really lovely infectious diseases nurse at my hospital who was watching the video marched straight up to the boardroom where I was <laughs> filming it. And after it gave me a tune, she gave me all the little tips for putting on the mask. Like one of the tips is um, twisting the straps around before you put them over your ears. And it sort of crunches the mask up at the side and makes little pockets on the side, oh. both sides of the mask to let the air out. And of course, course, getting a really tight seal um, around your nose. Some people even use um, a little bit of tape over yeah. the surgical mask on tape the nose over, if yeah, they're wearing yeah. it for a long time. And um, and yeah, they, they were the biggies, I suppose. And I, and there's lots of videos and stuff on the internet um, showing that. I might put up a picture of what I mean by crossing the um, things on Shrink the Virus after this. Now, talking um, about... Uh, damn good tips, my friend. Talking about noses, yeah. you have something shoved up yours. Oh, I had a test this morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a test. So, um, so that's my third test. My third test. I'm sort of getting used to it. It's still uncomfortable. The one they do with the back of the nose, but they're so much quicker at it now. And um, the very first test I had, they went up both my nostrils, which I did think was a little bit odd because they're still ending up in the <laughs> same. They're two. They're two pathways leading to the same whatever nasopharynx. Um, now they only do it up one, and it was very quick. The reason I had it though is because, um, oh look, it was really a mixture of opportunity, opportunistic. My dad's having his second cat done this week mm. and now for elective surgery you have to have a negative COVID test yeah. within the five days prior to, um, to elective surgery so I had to take him in to get his and I had just this tiniest of sniffles yesterday which of course I'm 90% 99% sure was just hay fever because I was gardening yesterday and in Melbourne yesterday it the wind was blowing a gale and I was out in the garden I had a tiny sniffle but I thought God if I'm taking him in there why take mm. the risk yep. you know I've got a sim- I've got a sniffle um, you know mind you I didn't have the sniffle when I woke up today but nevertheless <laughs> So while I was there, I had my test done again. I just figure, you know, especially given, you know, I work in a hospital with people, you know, with cancer and stuff like that. So, you know, play it safe is my attitude. Of course, um, 
yeah, now I have to. Uh, uh, anyway, so that that was the issue. Uh, what about you, man? What have you been up to, mate? Last night, I you know I told you just before the show started today that we as a family watched Hamilton, and I was astounded that you oh, yeah. never heard of Hamilton the musical. I was really I no yeah, you're across everything. I've just googled it. I just Googled it while you were talking. I don't even recognise, like, the big Broadway poster. I haven't heard a thing about it. I'm clearly out of the loop when it comes to musicals. Oh, well, it's about Alexander Hamilton, who was a uh, one of the founding fathers, I think, of the Constitution. I kind of... <laughs> I was a bit tired, so I had a bit of a sleep halfway through. But it was very, very good. I was just very, very tired. But I thought, you know, if I was going to write a musical... I mean, let me ask you, if you're going to write a musical about a famous politician, who would you write one about? Oh, my favourite Labor um, Prime Minister, um, Bob Hawke. Hawk, or my favourite yeah. Labor um, uh, Treasurer, um, Paul Keating. Paul. Oh, they've already had one. Hey, we've we're, had a musical exactly, about Paul exactly. So we've yeah. already had one. So I thought if I wrote one, I'd write one about Jacinda Ahern. How about that? I, I've actually prepared. I've got one before. I've I've, pre- I've I've prepared something before the show. Have a listen to this in the style of Hamilton. Jacinda yeah. Ahern, we've got a lot to learn from the likes of you about what to do with kindness and love. You rise above. Your name's got a D where there should be a T. It don't bother me because you're extraordinary. Ta-da! Oh, man, maybe you should write a musical. Can you play a Can you play a musical instrument? No. What about I'll, I'll drum for you? But, do but you I do love Jacinda Ahern. I do know I do know a drummer. Yeah. What don't we yeah, write I a love musical? Jacinda Ahern too. But you know, I'm, I am always of the belief that you have got to wait five years before you can declare someone. <sighs> no, you can. Oh, she's she's, know, she's managed her way through so many crises. She is just. Oh, I, I I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'm not knocking her. I'm not knocking her, yeah. but I still want to wait the five years before oh. I, before I'm giving my Steve Allen's order of Australia. <laughs> the, you, the, you the, 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 the SE. The she's SE waiting for it. Away. She's, yeah, the there, she's there in Wellington or in Auckland or wherever uh, her residence is. So, hey, oh, yeah, look, I'm just waiting some, for Steve Allen's seal of approval. Yeah. So, some unknown person created their own currency, Bitcoin, and now you know half the world owns Bitcoin. Why can't I, um, Steve? Hey, Coin. I'm going to be a better. I'm going to be a better judge of character than the Queen or some government body that gives them out. You currently. are. That's true because you you are a professional judge of character. I mean, you you. It's my job. That's your job. You, hey, we're going to move on quickly <laughs> to the news too. Oh, I just wanted to tell you one funny story from the news. Have I got time? Yeah. My Norway story. Oh, yes. Interesting. This is a story of, you know, how do you determine um, fake news or not? So a story that caught my eye during the week, just I can summarize it really quickly. I saw it in a couple of places, mainly on social media, was that um, Norwegian funeral directors had asked for a government bailout from the Norwegian government, obviously, because um, Norway had handled COVID so well that all of their deaths had fallen. So a lot of their infections have dropped because of their social distancing. Mm. And of course, they're having less car crashes and everything like that. So their overall death rates dropped. Funeral directors aren't getting enough work. And so they'd asked for a government bailout. Now, when I first read it, I thought, mm. oh, wow, that's an interesting sort of mm, good news mm. story. Um, and uh, But then when I went to search, when I went to you know look it up, I could only find it in news sources that I consider slightly less than perfect, things like mm. Daily News and Daily Telegraph and whatever all those ones. I couldn't find it in anything decent like ABC or The Age. And, and I tried to look up Norway News and I couldn't find one mention of it in, in Norway News. So I don't know if it's real. How do you find out if these things are real? Well, I think we talked about this. I mean, we talked about this with Patrick Stokes about having media literacy. And one way is to triangulate stories is to try and find, you know, is it in multiple different outlets through with multiple different journalists, uh, multiple different sources. That's one way. 
Yeah, that's what we do in science, essentially. You know, when the first story comes out, we want to we see what where, where it's published. And, you know, our journals are all ranked according to their impact factor. So, you know, how uh, successful they are and how much famous science has been in them and how many people read them and how many people reference them. And then we want to see the science presented in another lab, studied and repeated somewhere else. Mm. And you can do sort of the same thing with news. You know, you look at the source and you look at other sources with different philosophy. Yeah, all good stuff. I'm mm. not going to repeat what you said. I realised I was just repeating what you said. That happens all the time. Hey, uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we should probably, we've got a lot more to talk about, but I reckon we should get on uh, to this interview because it, it is really instructive. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician, deals with uh, loads of kids in, in, in very different uh, situations. She's both at a public hospital and a private practice. Look, she also does a podcast, and she's really across the biopsychosocial perspective of her patients. She's great. You pointed out. Yeah, and I think one of the key things is, yeah, because I wanted to point out she's a behavioural paediatrician. So she's a paediatrician who specialises in kids with behaviour disorders Mm. like ADHD, autism, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So she's the perfect person to ask about how has COVID affected the behaviour of children. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. G'day, Lexi. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rob. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. G'day, Lexi. Nice to uh, nice to see you. Know, I don't think we've met for about twenty years when we once met briefly at some royal at some hospital function or something. So nice. It to has see. been a long time, but I keep hearing about you. Oh, that's good to know. This is this is this is Steve's sort of. How many times have I heard this? We have met before at a oh, bar. I'm not so special. Okay. I said hospital function. I was trying to be polite. It was a bar. It was a it hospital was a bar, function at a bar. Many many years ago. Aren't all uh, hospital functions at bars, by the way? Aren't we supposed to be notorious for being slightly tipsy? You know, when we're not working, drunk. You know what I mean? What's the only word? on Grey's Anatomy, Stephen? Hey, um, Lexi. Apparently, well, not apparently. I shouldn't say you are actually a paediatrician. Tell us um, about your work. What sort of stuff you do as a paediatrician? Yeah, so I'm a general paediatrician, which means I did medicine and then I specialised in paediatrics and I um, have a few different roles. So I've been working for more than 20 years at one of the um, major paediatric hospitals in Victoria. Um, I do clinical work in the outpatient department, seeing kids from zero to 18. And I also work in education. So I work with other doctors um, trying to help uh, formulate their education as well as trying to educate the public about common health conditions. In my other life, I also am the director and work in a private general paediatric practice um, and have done so for about six years. And in that practice, I predominantly see children or a large number of our patients uh, have neurodevelopmental or behavioural issues or chronic so, diseases. So that's... Right, so it's a sense, that's what people call behavioural paediatrics, yeah, is that, mm-hmm. you know, all the behavioural problems that kids might have, which was one of the reasons we were sort of super interested to hear what you had to say, because yeah. we were wondering, you know, what influence COVID would have had on the behaviour of kids and whether that would have affected your work. Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's been incredibly interesting because we've been able to watch ourselves as doctors having to pivot in how we work but also watch the allied health teams that we work with pivot and the families. And I've been quite amazed, particularly in lockdown one in Victoria, how incredible the families have been. These are families who have kids with really chronic diseases um, that have a significant impact on the whole family 
um, dynamic. Um, and it's just been amazing how resilient and how they've coped, but it has been a significant change. So from a personal point of view, we've predominantly moved to telehealth. And that means our consultations are no longer face-to-face -face with most of our patients. And in paediatrics, that's a huge change. We get so much information from sitting in a room with a child and their family, watching the dynamic, watching them play on the floor, the interactions. And so much of our information comes from observing the child. To suddenly not have that family or child in the room, it's been really challenging for us. And so now we're on a Zoom. A lot of our kids aren't able to sit still during the Zoom um, or the, the telehealth interaction. And it's quite chaotic in a lot of houses. The benefits being we've been able to see children in their natural environment. And you get a real window into their houses or their lives. But it's also a very different dynamic. So it's definitely been a challenge that we've been working on as a group around Australia. We do have a amazing group um, called NBPSA, Neurodevelopmental Behavioural Paediatric Society of Australia, long name. But we um, you know, have a, a, a webpage, we have meetings, uh, we have different chapters in different states, and we've all been talking about how we can do this better for our families because it's been incredibly hard to get the information we've wanted. Hey, just as you were saying, Lex, about the only having that one view of... Mm the patient or of the family. I mean, could you set up other cameras around the place? So you've got like a multi-camera kind of view. You can one of the kid playing, one of the mum talking, one of the dad coming into the room, that kind of thing. It'd be great. It's actually just been a challenge to get the families on to a telehealth platform. I think yeah. a lot of our families have actually not got internet connection, or some mm. don't. Um, mm. And we're having to do conversations over the phone, which is yeah. just a whole other level. We mm. have families who need interpreters, and that's been incredibly challenging. Yeah. Um, but also, we do, I often speak to the child and the parent who's there on the tele meeting, but then I ask the child to go away and play on the floor or do a drawing for me. So you do get some observation, mm. but there are many children who can't sit still for the length of time we yeah. need them to. So that's been. But, yeah, good idea to have Big Brother watching you with multiple cameras. <laughs> 24 hours a day. Because I've been interested. You know, I, I agree, to tell, you know, because we've moved, obviously, to telehealth too and often telephone. A lot of people who mm. don't have internet, we're doing it by telephone. And I've noticed some real pros and cons. I don't think it's as good as face-to-face. -face, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, having the insight into people's homes a mm. couple of times with my patients has been amazing just because I don't normally get the whole family interacting. Of course, you do. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I can sometimes sit there and I'm watching, you know, husband, wife, couple of kids, yeah. aunt, you know, and they're all, and I get to see, you know, my patients are all going through cancer. So I get to see the whole family's responses. Uh, and then the other thing I really noticed, which again, I suppose isn't relevant to kids on the phone. And I might've mentioned this on a previous podcast. A lot of people are very anxious or reluctant to say things when they're staring you in the eye in the room. Mm -hmm. Whereas when they're on the telephone, it's like they're talking to, you know, they'll say yeah. things that they would never say to me before. And it's like, they, you know, I get the feeling they're sort of like sitting back and, you know, they they feel like they're just talking to a voice somewhere. And, you know, a couple of times I've had people telling me stuff that I, I'm a little bit surprised. Like, for example, trauma history normally takes, say, two or three months to come mm -hmm. out properly. And sometimes it's coming out a bit quicker now because people are more... Anyway, so I'm just sort of... Yeah, no, there's definitely advantages of yeah. being, you know, having a window into their life. And also, you know, 
the chaos in some families, it's quite interesting to observe. You might not see it when they come into your consultation room, but I've had lots of families who are driving in the car, trying to have the telehealth conversation or walking through the supermarket. Um, their child's having a tantrum and it's been really interesting to see how they manage that. Um, but yeah, I look at, I don't think it's ideal, but we're certainly, you know, the word of, of COVID is pivoting um, and we're doing that. And we thought it would only be lockdown one, so we could do some ass assessments initially via tele, but then we'd see the child for follow-up. Unfortunately, in Victoria at least, we're in lockdown two now, um, which means we're really having to think again, how do we do assessments, make formulations about complex developmental behavioural issues, as you know with psychiatry, how do we do that without actually ever meeting a child potentially? Mm -hmm. Or do we have to defer it till COVID's over, yeah, which is yeah. very hard with autism diagnosis and so, diagnosis. So, so when you say formulation, Lexi, what, can you just explain to us what a formulation is, what that means? I think it's a very psychiatric term. We don't use it in paediatrics because we um, we have different training than psychiatrists, but I think in neurodevelopmental behavioural medicine, we see kids um, and really try, as you do as psychiatrists, look at the whole picture from you know, early childhood through to where they're at now, what might have contributed to mm. any issues they have, what the family dynamic is, and we try and work out what all the different contributing factors. So it's very rare for, it's uncommon for a child just to have one diagnosis that's really clear cut. So there are multiple contributing factors um, and, you know, a lot of overlap. So really we're trying to get pieces of the puzzle and put it together and try and understand this child in the context of their family a lot better. So you're and trying to paint a picture rather than absolutely. just a one-word diagnosis, yeah, which is very to, hard to do, as you say, just with Very hard to do. And getting the pieces of the puzzle, I think the advantage um, with telly has also been we've had time to really get more information from our allied health colleagues. So we work a lot with psychologists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, as well as school teachers and, and assistant principals. And so people have been able to give us more information via joining one of the telehealth meetings or they've had more time on the phone, um, been able to answer questionnaires that we send. So really collaborating the information which we do in this, in this area um, has been really helpful. But once again, most of our allied health have had to pivot to um, telehealth interventions, which has been really hard for families. Hey, Lexi, I'm really glad you answered that formulation question so well because one of the three so people in this, one of the three people though in this interview has written an article or two on formulation, and he was testing you. That's Rob. He was. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and you got it 100 percent right. I oh. wasn't. I wasn't. Can testing I tell you in pediatrics because we're trained as physicians, we don't learn about formulations, and I've only learnt about them from my psychiatric colleagues who are few and far between in pediatrics unfortunately, but I think it's really important in this area of paediatrics that I do a lot of. Well, I'm surprised you haven't read the article because personally, I, can, I consider notes, it. Please? I consider it one of the classics. I have it painted. I have it pinned up on my wall. It's actually no, on SteveEllen.com. To be, <laughs> hey, it actually. We is. wrote the paper together. Hey. Did, I, oh, did we write it together? I think we did actually, but yeah. you did all the writing, and all I did was. Could it go in the show you. notes for your listeners? Yeah, we should. I'll provide. Anyway. I provide the good looks. He provides the intelligence. Mm. Or is it the other way around? I always get confused. Depends hey, on the situation. <laughs> get back to uh, back to case at point. What about COVID in the kids and and how are kids understanding it? And how do you talk about yeah. COVID to kids? Mm. Yeah, good question. Interesting. So it really depends on the age of the child and um, 
their intellectual capability. So, you know, children who um, have intellectual impairment, it's very hard for them to understand. And we've had a lot of kids anecdotally um, have a lot of difficulty with the structure or lack of structure that's been happening um, and not really understand what's going on. So particularly our children with um, quite significant autism spectrum mm. disorder, mm. they love routine and structure in general. Mm. And that's been taken away. They went from going to school one day to not being able to go to school and trying to explain to them, this is because there's a big pandemic in the world, it's an infection and you have to stay home, is really, really difficult. So we've had quite a lot of kids um, absconding, which is running away from home, um, mm. which is incredibly challenging. Yeah. Their exercise has decreased significantly, which is, I think, you've talked about on your podcast, but incredibly important for everyone, but particularly children um, and particularly children who are not good at being locked in, locked up in a house. Um, I think also their video game and technology usage has increased dramatically, which has a significant impact on everyone. Um, so I think for those with significant intellectual impairment, it's very hard to explain COVID. And I think it's about writing social stories that we do, but also just keeping it really simple about what does, what does today hold? What is the structure and routine of today? And really um, putting that in place. I think the, the positive that's come out of lockdown two is that special schools are gonna be reopening. That didn't happen in lockdown one, and it was a huge issue. So thankfully that's happening for our probably most um, vulnerable kids at the moment. I think for other kids, it really depends on their age and their vulnerabilities. So I think there's a lot of anxiety around COVID. And particularly as parents, when we show our children anxiety, they feed off it. So I tried very hard not to watch the news with my kids. I try very hard to be there to answer if they have any questions, but not to try and catastrophize the situation. Because mm. I think it's very hard to understand the concepts of what's going on in the world and I've got to I've got to say, Lexi, on a, on the school WhatsApp um, group that we have mm. for each level at the school that my kids are at, there are like I've never seen it so active, and I just think what a great avenue because there's a couple of doctors on the chat, and they say, well, no, this is true, that's not true, you know, yeah. this is what we need to be doing, and just to have a forum where adults can talk about stuff, and then so it's a parents group, not it's a parents group, group yeah, <clears throat> and then model to their kids those kind of behaviours, like as you say, not you know, watching the news every three seconds, mm. really important things to be doing and to be talking about it with people to get some idea of where the level of, I guess, uh, normality lies too. Yeah. Know? And every child's different, but also I, I find that a lot of children are going through phases. So real ups and yeah. downs at, at times they want to know what's going on. Yeah. And at times they just want to be a kid mm. and go for a bike ride and socialize with their friends. And I think I really feel for kids during this um, pandemic. Yeah. The other Tell, thing, sorry. Oh. So you can, no, you go on, you go on. I was going to say, there is um, some really good videos being made out there and we can put some on the show links um, from the World Children's Hospital in Victoria but a lot of other sources about how to talk to kids about COVID. Oh, there terrific. are blogs, there are podcasts, there are videos. There's videos on what PPE looks like, which is yeah. protective equipment that if you come for a COVID test or you come to hospital, what it looks like. Um, there's a, a video with a child and a mother um, having a, a nose and throat swab. So I think they're really useful for kids and families to watch um, to really know what to expect. Because I think kids, there's a lot of anxiety and anticipatory fear about what will happen. And for them just to know, if I need a test, this is what it looks like, is really helpful. Um, Lex, are you homeschooling? Um, 
or not? Yeah, look, I think it's been really challenging. So I have three different roles and I'm in three different places. Um, in my hospital job, I've still been going to hospital because I supervise a number of registrars in clinic and um, predominantly telehealth, but we are doing mm. some face-to-face. And um, my education role, I'm at home, so I'm homeschooling on my education <laughs> days, work days. Um, but then I am doing telehealth from from my private clinic because just the structure we'd set up with scripts and other things. So I have a 16-year-old, nearly 16-year-old, a nearly 14-year-old and an 11-year-old. My 16-year-old is in year 10, so he's got to go back to school, mm. which he's been very grateful for so far. Yeah. My 14-year-old is at home, largely on her own, um, doing her homeschooling in her pyjama bottoms with her school jumper on. Um, and I try and check in the night before and try and check in during the day. If mm. I'm at home, I try and go for a walk with her at lunchtime. Mm play rummy tiles or distract her and help a little bit with science, but that's probably the only subject I can help mm. with at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then my 11-year-old, he was homeschooling initially for a few days a week when I was at home, but he went to a program at our children's school, which was for children of medical personnel and essential workers. And it was remote learning, but in a school setting, and he's been really lucky to be able to do that. I've been lucky that he's been able to do that, and he's really enjoyed it. So, Just, so far that's working. You know, first time round, people were concerned about the impact on the education of kids, and you know, in fact, Scott Morrison a couple of times came out and said, "Yes, education's super important." Yada yada yada. And my gut feeling at the time was, "Ah, a couple of months, you know, off school." It's not the end of the earth unless you're in year 12 um, and no big deal. Now I'm starting to doubt my thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. It's been going on a long time. You know, one of, um, you know, I know people who've had kids home really now for about four months, not mm-hmm. so much in Australia, but some countries, schools have been closed mm-hmm. down completely for oh, four or five months almost. And so, you know, I guess it's still not a lot, but are you starting to worry about the impact on their education and, you know, this, or is it just the same for everyone and that all catch up? I think it completely varies between children. So our children, our patients who have um, specific learning difficulties or dyslexia, it's been an incredible challenge Mm. um, to learn in a different way. Mm. And I think it's going to have a significant impact on a number of those um, children. And I think schools are realising that and giving the option for some of those children with learning difficulties to attend school and have a bit more one-on-one supervision. Our children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, so ADHD, it has been incredibly enlightening for many parents, anecdotally, (laughs) about their child. They've never sat down and tried to see how their child learns Mm. for a six to eight hour period. And the number of consults we've had during this period that have said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how incredible so-and-so's teachers are. My child cannot sit still in a one-on-one environment. Could you please start the medication now or could we please um, go up on medication because now I know what the teacher's been talking about. It's incredibly hard to sit in front of a camera or sit online for long periods for many of these kids. So I think it will have an educational impact, not for everyone. Don't you reckon? I, I, think, I, I think also, don't you think, Lex, that it, it's not just the educational impact, it's also the social impact and the physical impact as well. Yeah. And and I think, cu- coupled with the worry about the pandemic too. Yeah. And I think that's... That's more my focus and my yeah. concern. It's the mental health of these kids yeah. who are 
but probably for the first time dealing with significant adversity and significant change in their circumstances. You know, we've never lived through a war, but it's, you know, a war of sorts. And I'm really worried about the mental health. The numbers of calls to be on blue headspace, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the mental health issues that we see already in young children and young adults and I fear that we're going to see more you know more and more as the year progresses mm-hmm. I really worry so for me I, I we have to weigh up the science but going back to school and socializing for kids is hugely important yeah. so yeah. letting them exercise with friends when possible letting them play online with friends but I really worry and the other people I worry about is the parents so you know as a pediatrician we deal with the whole family the mental health load and um, workload of parents having to homeschool kids, homeschool kids with disability or um, chronic disease. You know, a lot of the supports are not in place anymore. So um, the carers supports, carers coming into the home, um, respite hasn't really been happening. It's going to have a huge impact on the mental health of families. Yeah. I've got to peek into this. I'm part of a a book group and uh, we've been meeting via Zoom. And, uh, you know, some of the, the uh, women in the book group have got young kids. And, you know, when I said to them, book group, they're nice and they're chatty and they're happy and they're up. And, and then I see them at home and, you know, I didn't realize all the stresses they had to cope with when they're at home. Like, you know, remembering what it's like being with little kids and thinking, gee, you are really holding it together so well, given yeah. all the stresses that you're under. Um, can I ask you another question, Lexi? Sure. With the pandemic, what surprised you? What, what, what have you got? Oh, didn't even think of that. Oh, gee, that's caught me off guard. I think, look, I think the resilience of people has surprised me. Um, Even Victorians, when first lockdown came, I thought there was no way Victorians would listen um, to rules around social isolation and not going to pubs. Mm. And it's really surprised me how seriously everyone's taken it, or most people have taken it. Um, So I think the response has surprised me, the Australian response. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been surprised from an education point of view, we've pivoted to a lot of our education online. And it's been really interesting. It's been really well received. So instead of having 50 people in a meeting room every Friday lunchtime at the hospital, we now do it um, online and we have quizzes and it's been hard to get up and running, but it's been amazing. And I think we'll probably continue a lot of those things. Um, And I've also been fascinated how creative some of my friends are. I didn't know they had these creative outlets or interests. Um, And you know, most people, you know, have a about career. Me, Steve, or? Yeah, about, you know, <laughs> baking and learning. Sourdough, Steve, sourdough. Yeah, well, you were, you probably don't know this, but I've got amazing at buying sourdough from the supermarket. See, I go down there, oh, that's sourdough, and I buy it, and I bring it home, and I put it, I take photos, I put so it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, oh. I send a picture to Rob, and he talks about sourdough for about 15 hours. That, it's so fascinating. It's good he, to buys his own sour, he buys his own sourdough. You put a <laughs> knife through my heart, Stephen, you realise. My highlight of lockdown, everyone's probably got one or two highlights, but um, I joined, I've always been into trivia, and um, one of my colleagues' brother decided to run a lockdown online trivia from the very start, and it's been amazing. So on a Friday night um, via Zoom, there's been probably three to 400 households on each Friday wow. night. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. And we all give a donation to charity. He gets live singers to come and do a gig. There's five rounds and it's incredible. And there's no prizes, but it is, you know, kid off. How do, how do they 
get the answers. So how do you, like, you put so your hand up? Oh, you write them on a Google, Google. like normal. Yeah. So there's oh. five rounds. There's a Google Doc sheet. I'm on a team with a group, uh, a WhatsApp group. So we've got headphones in doing the answers and then we're all, you know, discussing it, having a glass of wine. And it's been really nice. It's something to look forward to and it's get it distracts you. It's an honest system too. You see, because... Yeah. Uh, you know, little known, that wouldn't work for us. No, little known fact, I'm an amazing cheat. That's how I got through medicines, how I got through psychiatry. I've actually never, I've never read a book in my life. And uh, I'd be there with my two phones, left hand and right hand. I'd be looking up. People go, geez, that's amazing because Steve could never do trivia. In fact, he seems like a function, you know, like lowly functioning moron most of the time. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd, I'd love it. I reckon you no do okay with this one. Occasionally there's some COVID questions. You'd do oh. well on that round. And um, I'm not sure what you like on geography. He loves geography. Is that the one um, where you talk about what happened in the past? No, that's history. Geography is the one where you decide what holiday you're going on, yeah? In you know, the going future. To in the far future. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm pretty good at that stuff. No, it's been great. It's been it's great to have distraction. I think you need something to distract you. And I so what I've been recommending to families is really trying to set up routine for their kids, set up a structure, um, weekdays and weekends, get their sleep routine back into um, good sleep hygiene habits, try and eat as well as we can, but also have something else to talk about that's mm. not COVID mm. or have another interest. And exercise, Rob, of course. Exercise. <laughs> or exercise and sourdough. They're my two saviours. Yeah. Hey, another thing that you've done is you've just started a new podcast. Yes. Yeah. We, we launched, we, we dropped our first two episodes, in inverted commas, podcast talk, um, about two weeks ago. So I'm involved in what's called the RCHKHI, Kids Health Information Podcast. And we've actually been planning it for six to 12 months, um, and thankfully it's come to fruition. Um, so our first two episodes, well, one, just get to know your host. There's three of us who are all pediatricians, and it's hopefully going to be quite lighthearted and entertaining, but also informative. Our second episode was related to COVID in kids, um, and we can link in the show notes. But from now on, it's going to be the, the kids' health information fact sheets at the World Children's Hospital are really well regarded and well received as a source of information about very common paediatric health conditions. Mm. So we've chosen the top 10 conditions from last year, and every fortnight, every Tuesday fortnight, we're dropping an episode with an expert from the hospital or outside um, talking about one of the common child health conditions. So we've got, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's so nice to actually have another project or an area of interest. Um, it is education, but it's a bit different than medicine hey. these days. Hey, Larry, can I ask you a question? Because I've just asked you about yeah, Kevin, but I've asked you one more question. <laughs> yeah, because that's really um, unexpected on a podcast to be asked a question <laughs> yeah, when you're here for yeah. an interview. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? Just no, I'm I'm giving you time. I with I do this with every guest, right? Yeah, I'm giving you time to center, control your breathing, and really focus now? on this question because <laughs> it's a really tough one. Hey, um, what are you doing differently and better now as compared to pre-COVID times? My husband would say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit mean. Yeah. Easier than ever. I'm trying to juggle it all. But I actually think, yeah. contrary to popular belief, I'm slowing down at least a little bit. Um, I'm a multitasker. I love doing, you know, having 10 projects in the air, having three different jobs, having three kids, keeping really busy, go, go, go. 
And it's forced me to slow down, particularly on weekends. I'm not mm. driving around Victoria, yeah. dropping kids at sport. I'm not working. Um, so I'm really trying to slow down, play board games, go for walks, listen to your podcast on the weekend. But um, it is one thing I do want to take with me to the next stage and really um, slow keep down. The, slow down and keep the weekends really available to be you know, with myself, look after myself, but also with my family and probably be less social than I once was. Hey, uh, that is fantastic. Um, it has been fantastic um, listening to you talking about the kids and their behaviour and how it all changes. I hadn't really given that a lot of thought myself and, mm. you know, and it, it's it's really triggered a few um, <clears throat> things. You know, I think my, my, I've only, my son's 20. In fact, I better get his age right. <laughs> I, the reason I say that, he just turned 23. And a couple of podcasts ago, I mentioned how I had a 24-year-old son. That's your other son? The long-lost son in Spain? You may well do. Well, in fact, his <laughs> godfather, tech, who was listen, who listened to the podcast, very kindly texted me and said, Correct. son is 22 and he's turning 23 soon. I'm not, as I said before, I'm a bit of a moron. No, but it's, it's been very... It's good you reminded you of his birthday. <laughs> I know. It's been very lovely having you on the podcast. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank Much you. You are the podcast expert. So I've, I've learned a lot for our next um, series, but, you know, it's lovely to talk. And I think kids and families are doing an amazing job. So we really have to, you know, be inspired by them. Thanks, guys. So that was Shrink the Virus for this week, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tell every single person you know you run into, in fact, just anybody about the show, and ask them to subscribe, and also write a review too. We love reading your reviews. We have a Facebook page called, what's it called, Steve? Print it on your mask. Print it on your mask. We should have Shrink, Shrink the, the Virus, virus. masks. Print Print, print shrink the virus. <laughs> Have we got a budget? Yeah, no. It's, uh, <laughs> our budget is zero. You know what I'm going to do? So I'm we can't make really sh- afford to buy um, publicity masks. I'm going to make some masks, some shrink the virus masks with our logo on it. How about that? Oh, nice. And what's the name uh, of our I've Facebook? I've got a website. Wait, 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 wait. Facebook page called Shrink the, the Virus. Time. You go. Yep. No, it's an shrink email address. Also on Instagram. Yep. Also on Instagram, also on um, Twitter. Email address is the same, shrinkthevirus, all one word, at gmail.com. I've got a website, steveallen.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-E-L-L-E-N for Steve Allen. Um, of course, don't forget to tune into our radio show on 3RRR every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. called Radiotherapy. And over to you for the thank yous, Roberto. And big, big, big hearts and loves to... All our lovely, lovely friends at 3RRR who made this podcast possible. That's Beck, Mia, Grace, Elizabeth, and the wonderful Michael, who really makes our sound sound better. Thanks, guys. You're listening to a RRR podcast. Discover more podcasts from RRR exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the RRR website or your favourite podcast platform. 